As, as I've really looked over success in business and in the church and in nonprofit world, I see that the business businesses that succeed put people first. They don't use people to get things, but they use things to bless people. Brody just nodded in agreement so hard, I think he hit his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, we, we can put that so far over under the church that we take it away from business, but it's a good principle in all part of life. It's good in your marriage. It's good in your family. It's good in your business. It's good in your church. Yeah. Uh, people first. And I think one trap that I've seen some businesses fall into is that they, they kind of have this faux or fake people first thing because it's the client first and mm-hmm. our employees can suck it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've heard this, what you're getting into. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That you, that you know, you really do have to focus on your staff first because then they'll take care of right. mm-hmm. the clients. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I'm Joe, and today I have a co-host with me because Josh is still out because he tore his ACL. Slacker. Brody Smith. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for having me. Brody came on before. He's been with iHeartRadio for a long time, and now he's doing all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, you might hear him right now. On 94.7 QDR, doing weekends and fill-in. Yeah. Going country. How's that going? Uh, it's going great. Do you like country music? I, I actually do. I, I didn't ask me that five or ten years ago, and I would have been like, oh, God, no. I didn't start liking so. it until I hit like 30 either. Like It just never was appealing to me, and my kids despise it. Maybe I it's, think, just, it's an age thing. I, I, I think people either you know love old country and they hate new country and vice versa. Well, I'm the, the vice versa. So. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming yeah. on, and your episode was awesome, and I appreciate your friendship. And Today, we got a very special guest, Kevin White, joining us in the studio. And I got a lot to say about Kevin White, but start by telling us a little bit about where you're at right now with Global Hope India. Yeah, thank you so much for allowing me to be on the show. I miss Josh, but it's great to see Brody here. <laughs> I've known the voice, but now I get to see the face. And yeah. his, his hair is had, a lot better than Josh's hair. I had that same experience <laughs> so. the first time I, I met Brody at a podcast meetup and I heard his voice and I'm like, man, that's familiar before. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, did both of, neither of you grew up in the South? Because you're talking about you're just now li- liking country. No, and- Michigan for me. Jersey for me. Okay. Well, I would, I would consider you Northerners, <laughs> but I'm na- North Carolina native and country's been inbred right. into our DNA you're one from of the, the very few. beginning. Like you're in the area and you've been here. Yeah. You don't run into that a lot. And so that makes this whole topic about Global <laughs> Hope India even more interesting. Yeah. How on earth did I get 51 trips over to India in the last 20 years? Yeah. And why? Why? Because you didn't grow up in the city. In, in No, very rural <laughs> <laughs> sticks of North Carolina. And uh, what is considered the foothills area of North Carolina, not the mountains, but not the coast either. Love, love my heritage, love my upbringing, proud to call North Carolina home, love calling North Carolina home. But yeah, I get to be the founder and director of Global Hope India. Yeah, which is an awesome nonprofit. Yes. And I get to work with Kevin and we produce a couple podcasts together. Yes. We'll put the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for but that. Wanted to 
tell you guys, they're fun to listen to. It's a, it's a nonprofit. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a mission centric organization. Yes. Kevin and I worked together forever ago, Hope Community Church briefly. Yeah. Our, our paths crossed, but we didn't work together for very long. But right. when I was there, you were over their missions department. Yeah. And then during that time, you had gone over to India and you had felt like this needs to be my full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Before you started working at the church, you had started a company that yeah. was in in the service area and you'd grown that company to a decent size. Yeah, it was called Freedom Managers. And that was really uh, one of the great memories of my life. And I'm glad that I had that opportunity. But I have always been in church planning, nonprofit, right. business development world. And that was just one of the seasons where I really got to immerse myself into small uh, business ownership right. and entrepreneurship. Seven years prior to that, we worked in a nonprofit. And we we got paid peanuts, and and <laughs> like that literally was peanuts. Or well, it? that was our choice. I yeah. mean, you just get you. We got paid nonprofit salary, and mm-hmm. that was our choice. But Do you know then, what the standard is? Is it about thirty percent under for nonprofit uh, versus profit? It wouldn't surprise me if if that's pretty much the. I heard that at some point. Be worth Googling on your own, but I think it's about 30% under industry standard to work in a nonprofit versus a for-profit. Yeah. Yeah. God's always been our provider and he took care of that. But but then our our children, we have three kids. My wife, Shelly, and I are blessed with three children and they were becoming teenagers and going to high school and needing braces and yearbooks and all of the things to be in marching band. You know all the fees that come with that. (laughs) And in that season, God gave us uh, a conversation that turned into a niche market of business by the hour business management services. And in three years, we had 62 clients and 10 employees. And then Hope called me to be on staff. And so I ended up selling that company. Yeah. Wow. Do you miss it? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I get to do a lot of business development over in India. And so that keeps my passions, the wheel turning of, of my passions in that yeah. area. But, and I certainly don't miss the pressure that comes with being a small business uh, owner because yeah. you either sink or swim yeah. and, and it's totally up to you to some degree. And so you got to stay ahead of the game at all times. Otherwise you go without income <laughs> if, yeah. if you stop. One of the things I appreciate about your, your kind of your origin story here, how you got into it is a lot of people I feel right now are like consultants that haven't done stuff yet. Do you guys mm-hmm. get a lot of ads like on your Facebook feed and your like sales funnels and way to get a six figure, yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, there's like 4% of the people are six figure uh, contractors that are doing it on their own. Like mm-hmm. there's no way everybody that's done it is making a course too because right. they're busy because they're working yeah you know <laughs> they're, they're making money yeah but i appreciate that when you actually went through the process of starting a business growing a business to a point getting a book of business and then selling it what was selling it like uh, it was surprising because because it? It, it was all intellectual property to some degree and we had clients and sales mm-hmm. coming in but it, it it wasn't like a boxed up pro, uh, product sure it was a service-based business and so i i had never really gone through equating a value to that. And then I realized this does have a value and we put a price tag on it and got, got what we wanted for it. And, and, (laughs) and he let it die from what I understand, which is unfortunate, but, but still it was a provision to our family. So I was 
there was happy a, for that. There was a season in my life where I was doing client work for websites while I was working at a at a at an organization in Mississippi when I was living there. And I I built it up where I had like twenty clients. Mm-hmm. And then I just kinda let it like you said, like that guy did. I just kinda as I got a full-time job, I just became harder to reach. And I was just telling my clients, like, you should probably find somebody else kind of stuff. And that's one of my big regrets that I didn't try to bundle it and sell it because mm-hmm. it has value. Whatever yeah. it took to get it there, the systems, the processes, the the way that you created those clients and, mm-hmm. and made that work. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that. That's a good thing to think about. Like, <laughs> how do you even come up with a monetary value on what you built? Mm-hmm. To me, I, I would I wouldn't know where to start. Well, I'm sure that in business schools, there are ratios and right. all of the formulas and Somebody to knows. evaluate the yeah. equation. But for, for me, I just had a sense of this is what I would want if I, if I sold the, the business and gave the clients over and uh, transitioned that over to a new yeah. owner. And that's what I got paid. So I was grateful for that. It, it turned out to be very easy for me. So while you were at Hope, you you went from the startup mode and into into a more salaried position. And then during that time, the three years that you were there, you helped Hope launch two new campuses. And during those three years, you went to India a bunch of times. Yeah. And it was during that time that you realized that this is what I was kind of meant to do. I'm the guy that starts stuff up. Yeah. Well, and within 90 days of being hired at Hope Community Church, I basically worked myself out of a job and was setting in a flux mode of, okay, what's going to happen here? I I was expecting a pink slip that they would just come and say, hey, we thought this was going to work. It didn't work. And so, you know, God bless you, but you're not going to be on our staff tomorrow. (laughs) But that never happened. And I was pleasantly surprised by that. And it was in that environment that I really was given a level of freedom that I I don't think I was hired to be given. So they they were on a plan to launch two campuses simultaneously, and they had never launched one. And Pastor Mike was a panic attack waiting to happen at all times. And he said, Kevin, get on the phone and talk to everyone that had ever went multi-site and learn all that you can. And one by one, all of these very big profile churches and pastors kept saying, one is murder, two will be suicide. And it was 2008, the economy tanked. Pastor Mike couldn't raise what he needed to, to launch one, much less two. And I have been launched to, I have been hired to be the, the West Cary Mooresville campus pastor. And then they had hired another campus pastor to launch the Holly Springs campus. And Hope just decided that all the two lane roads coming out of Holly Spring really justified a need for that campus first. And that happened within 90 days of me being hired. They can't launch my campus at, the, at this time. The decision had been made. And so it gave me freedom to, to, just work in other areas yeah. of need within hope. And and that's when I began to see that God had really fashioned me to be like a startup guy. Yeah. And and in Hope's environment, I really was able to thrive in that. And then now being in the director of Global Hope India, I find I love this side of what you guys do. You get to help your indigenous partners. So the people yeah. that you partner with in India. So these might be pastors, these might be leaders, these mm-hmm. might just be a men and women that have huge potential. And you get to help help them develop businesses to generate income for projects. Yes. 
Global Hope India really started, and our primary program is to facilitate mission teams over to India. And so while I was on staff at Hope, one team a year became two teams, became three teams, and it was just a hobby uh, over. And then three years into being on staff, I was leading a pastor's conference in Hyderabad, India, and just really felt broken for the pastors of India. And and in that moment, sensed the call to focus on this hobby now full time. And Pastor Mike was very gracious in the staff. They blessed me and sent me out. But I had to leave Hope's payroll at that moment and began to raise my own support. And and since then, we've now taken a thousand people over to India in the last 10 years yeah. and have raised millions for God's, God's work there. And so now having this relationship with long-term vetted partners across India, you see the need to support them in a variety of ways. But one is income generation because we we don't want to be a welfare program of just supporting people indefinitely and anything we can do to empower them to yeah. be able to stand on their own two feet. So here's some of the things that you guys have been up to. You help <laughs> yeah. people build coffee shops and bakeries, goat farms, pig farms, grocery shops, beautician salons, coffee plantations, apple orchards, transportation businesses, and most of them get started for $1,500 or less. A little as much when God is in it. And so we we teach them to take a very uh, small grant and use that to build a income generation project, a small business. Yeah. Some of them have scaled much larger than 1500 now, and they are able to replace that and multiply that within right. the first uh, two years. So wow. I find this so fascinating. You grew up very rural, very country, mm-hmm. not like a city thing. So there wasn't diversity. Right. Uh, and then you have devoted the majority of your life and time right now mm-hmm. to helping a people that you probably never saw growing up. Right. Like there were no Indians in your community, I yeah. don't think. Yeah. So we talk about this on one of our podcasts, but I'm from Sunshine, North Carolina. <laughs> Most people don't even know where that is. I went to Sunshine Elementary School, yeah. 300 students from kindergarten to eighth grade. Wow. And, and it's still there. Sunshine Elementary is still there. But never remember any type of geography lesson on India at all. And then 20 years ago, there were, I I knew zero Indian nationals living in North Carolina. Now there are thousands living in North Carolina, probably even hundreds of thousands living in North Carolina. But then it was, it was really just an act of God. I, I can't, I can't explain it any other way, but God took me there, I think, to prepare us even for 2020 in the reality that so many Indian nationals are now living in the U.S. I have to imagine that in your life you had some mentors along the way. Your mm-hmm. your trajectory doesn't seem like it would be common for the people that were sharing your surrounding and, and, and upbringing. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what were some of the lessons that you learned like that, that shaped you to that understanding that one, you were gifted at starting things up mm-hmm. and two, like starting a nonprofit that like we talked to a lot of business owners and hosts on this show, but a nonprofit is, there's a lot of confusion about what a nonprofit is and isn't, I mm-hmm. think for people. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of people think nonprofit means they're trying not to make a profit, mm-hmm. which really is just a really sucky definition yeah, it is. of what a nonprofit is. It is. It's 
And I have to remind our board of that quite often. Nonprofit is not a call to not make a profit. It is what you do with your profit that considers you to be a nonprofit. (laughs) But if you're going to sustain yourself, you're going to have to make a profit. I think there's this almost like this trend that I've seen, like with Tom Shoes and the socks company that donates one over. That's like these causal companies are just so awesome. And you watch Shark Tank and it's like, you got to have a cause. And you're like, Mm -hmm. those are, that's really another way to say nonprofit. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) it's like this whole new idea. Idea. And mm-hmm. I wonder, do you ever feel that like tension as a guy that runs a nonprofit? Like, yeah, I get it. That's, yeah, that's important. You should have a why. That's yeah. what this is. Well, yeah. and calling it a nonprofit <laughs> also comes like tax benefits come, come with that too. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, there are advantages. So, t- tell me a little bit about some of the lessons that you learned from mentors. So, it was really um, the executive pastor at Hope, Dave Patchen, at the time that spoke into my life and just said, Kevin, you are really God's startup guy. At that moment, I had worked in several projects, but it always seemed like um, I was like three to four years in, and then I was moving over to another project. But India has been that consistent theme now for multiple decades. Yeah. And and so I'm really grateful for that. But in, the consistency has always been inter, in entrepreneurship, whether it was helping a church get started, helping a nonprofit get started. Yeah or helping a business get started. I think that's another thing that is probably a misconception that a lot of people might have about uh, nonprofits, specifically churches, is that church planning is really similar in a lot of ways to Mm -hmm. a startup. Yeah. Um, The principles are very similar Mm -hmm. and what it takes to kind of get off the ground, the the hours, the, the, the momentum that it takes to get it very similar. It gets confused or maybe romanticized or put in a different category completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you don't often hear the word entrepreneurial associated with like the church or right. a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely the thing that makes the thing that it takes to make a great company is the thing that it takes to make a great nonprofit. Yeah. And that's funny because I also I also got to work under Dave Patchen and he kind of mm-hmm. helped me understand a very similar lesson mm-hmm. about like, because I think a lot of us might struggle with this. And I don't know, Brody, if you've ever struggled with the idea of like, we're all kind of naturally good at something. And then if we are in the mindset that we think that because we're not good at the other thing, we're a failure. Yes. And then when somebody comes along and says, why don't you just do the thing you're good at? You're like, mm-hmm. light bulb. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Why don't I just do the thing that I'm good at instead of fighting mm-hmm. with the thing that I'm not good at? Yeah. And uh, yeah. Well, a cool guy. well, in the history of Christianity, there were a couple decades, even in my childhood and in our lifetime, when there was too much of a separation between business and church. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that today there's more of a connection that if Jesus were alive today, he'd probably be a very successful businessman. I mean, he he was a carpenter, son of a carpenter. And, and you know, could you imagine so, if somebody had a table like Jesus helped make? Like, uh-huh. how much money that thing would be worth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they're not in opposition together. And, and, you know, sometimes we think of ministry only being in the context of a payroll yeah. on a local church staff. And, and, you know, there's too much emphasis on professional leaders in the church today, but some of the greatest ministers are, are those that own yeah. businesses. I think there's also, there's this unspoken discomfort that I just want to call out right now about mm-hmm. people who are working in a church making a decent living wage. Mm-hmm. I heard it said once by a pastor of a large church up in Durham, and I thought it was the most efficient way I ever heard a pastor answer this question because it just, it, there's so much wisdom in his answer. And whether where you stand on this or whatever, just think about this answer because it's crazy. Somebody asked him in a panel, how much is too much for a pastor to make? Mm-hmm. 
And his answer was, as long as they don't make more than the person who asked the question, that's mm. the answer. Mm. That's everybody's comfort level. Mm-hmm. I'm good with my pastor making money yeah. so long as he doesn't make more than me. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, that's people's comfort level. Mm-hmm. And being working in a church for a long time, I'd seen that fleshed out, but never said so, so mm-hmm. accurately. And I think we get that because of the headlines of people who in ministry positions had embezzled or taken advantage of the money. And there's this kind of uh, bad taste in people's mouth. Stigma. Mm-hmm. Stigma. Yeah. And yeah. then it doesn't often get celebrated for the same regard when a nonprofit or an organization is doing a ton of good in the community. Mm-hmm. They just don't get celebrated as having business acumen and being good managers of the of the, the, the time and the yeah. resources and the money. Greed stinks, whether it's in the church or whether it's yeah. in business, it stinks. And generosity smells uh, beautiful, yeah. whether it's That's in the church or it. whether it's in uh, business. So- Talk to me about what do you think is one of the more critical skills as a guy who has launched businesses, now developed nonprofits and helping other people do businesses and getting into, we didn't even mention the fact that you traveled so much that you actually started up a travel company. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah. That's bananas. You're, yeah. you're a guy who does stuff. I like yeah. that. You're a starter. It's uh-huh. uh, it's definitely happening that way. It so sounds what, like you have your hands in a lot of things. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has, has anyone ever said, do you focus on just one thing? Have you ever heard that? Do I focus or? Or has anyone ever said, you know, you just need to focus on one thing? Yeah, earlier. But now, for the most part, I do carry the umbrella of Global Hope India. And so even the travel fits under that. And our investment property fits under that. It's not that it's owned by Global Hope India, but it is a, a fulfillment of the mission related to. I'm going to get back to my question, but I want to drill into that for a second. Do you think you said earlier, you said how grateful you were that Global Hope India is stuck. Mm -hmm. And do you think it has to do with the fact that you were able to figure out how to point all this entrepreneurial energy at one thing instead of it being different? I remember Pastor Mike and I, as, uh, as I was exiting Hope, that was one of his recommendations is I just really hope that this is something that you're able to focus on long term, because he was a little concerned that it might be just this trendy thing that would last and then fizzle out. And, and it really put within me this desire that I could find fulfillment in a lot of different projects under Global Hope India. And I I really feel that God has shown me that opportunity and given me the fulfillment of that. So what do you think are some of the the skills that you've developed that have contributed to your success when it comes to being entrepreneurial in spirit and running a nonprofit? Well, I would say one fundamental that I learned very early in helping to start a church is just the the necessity for rock solid accounting. And so in putting a church together, needed needed to have the accounting system very clearly laid out. And then in business world and in nonprofit world, the same thing. And so whenever I started that Freedom Managers, one of the core services was I was a QuickBooks Pro advisor, but I'd learned QuickBooks in the church. Yeah. And, And so by coming out from up under the traditional ministry of nonprofit church world and going into the marketplace, I really began to see the value of that uh, monetarily. And so, so uh, skill, I'm not sure, but core value accounting was a really, is is a really big deal. And the businesses that thrive that I really admire know their numbers. That's right. And the churches that I feel are weak and floundering don't necessarily care about their numbers. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean just in, 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 
offering or in the revenue of the church. I'm talking about numbers as far as their impact. One of the best pieces of advice when we were starting Global Hope India, one of our core board members says, your prayer needs to be as organized as your accounting is. Well, you can't really appreciate that if you if your accounting is sloppy. <laughs> and so we we got 62 clients as freedom managers by helping small business owners get the receipts out of their shoebox and get them organized. Yeah. And we got paid to do that. And they needed to do that to be faithful stewards of the business God had given to them. And so now when that board member says your prayer life needs to be as organized as your accounting, I get that. And when we look at our why with Global Hope India and the numbers behind that, I, I, I get that. But it really all started yeah. for me in, in the area of having rock solid accounting. I think that's critically important when you're a nonprofit and you're a cause mm -hmm. that people want to rally behind. But it's, I think it's equally important in the, in the business space. If you're a product, people are fans of transparency. I know mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. I, I want to know, like, I want to know that you're not up to something weird. Yeah. And uh, the more transparent that businesses are, that companies are, that individuals are, that's appealing. Mm -hmm. But another way to say it is it's genuine. I think we're drawn to people who are genuine or authentic. Yeah. Last year we did 25 clean water projects in India. They're $4,000 a pop. That's a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. But we are, we, it is a high value of us to take that back to the donor that gives that $4,000 or, or the organization, the family, and to show them the actual construction of that water project and, right. and to help them to understand you can literally buy a plane ticket. You can go to India and you will stand and see what you're seeing in the the photos and just that that level of transparency this is what it's going to cost this is what happened this is um the, yeah. the impact of your dollars is that a separate 501c3 your organization carry the water no no, no. <laughs> okay it's a dba of global hope India. Oh, okay yeah. so yeah there's there's this organization you do called carry the water yes. you do runs and you organize and help people raise funds for clean water mm -hmm. people don't i think it would be not something that people would be aware of, but mm -hmm. there's projections that India is going to run out of clean water at some point. They right. have a serious problem mm -hmm. with their with their water infrastructure. Yeah, and there are organizations like yourself that are taking this issue very seriously and trying to raise funds and remedy it and, mm -hmm. and make sure that that doesn't become the future of the of the country. Yeah, that's interesting because the DBA really that disciplines stands for doing us. business as. Yeah, doing business as. It disciplines us, but it is a matter of transparency. So I think it's important to point that out. It it tells the community we are a faith-based nonprofit Global Hope India, yeah. but this particular project is a DBA of Global Hope India. It's called Carry the Water NC, and every dollar given will only be used for clean water. And so we've actually uh, seen a large support from the Indian community that aren't necessarily Christian who agree with us that India needs clean water. Yeah. And so that's been exciting to do that. But we, we were disciplined not to go create another nonprofit, set up another board and all of that when it could just be done simply through a DBA. It's just yeah. a matter of transparency. And we absolutely use every single penny only for clean water. What are some of the other values that you have? They probably all start this way from a business owner. They probably start as personal ones mm -hmm. that you say, this is how I'm also going to run the business. Mm -hmm. That's part of being authentic and being energized by what you do. So what are some of the other values that you guys consider non-negotiable when it comes to what you guys are doing with your nonprofit? As, as I've really looked over success in business and in the church 
and in nonprofit world, I see that the business businesses that succeed put people first. They don't use people to get things, but they use things to bless people. Brody just nodded in agreement so hard. I think he hit his head. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, you know, we, we can put that so far over under the church that we take it away from business, but, but uh, that's not, that's not the way of, of Jesus. You know, Jesus really taught us people first, but it's a good principle in all part of life. It's good in your marriage. It's good in your family. It's good in your business. It's good in your church. Yeah. Uh, people People first. And I think one trap that I've seen some businesses fall into is that they, they kind of have this faux or fake people first thing because it's the client first and mm-hmm. our employees can suck it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I've heard this, what you're getting into. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That, you, that, you know, you really do have to focus on your staff first because then they'll take care of right. the clients. Yeah. And- that's a, that's an interesting thing. Like running a nonprofit, what kind of experience have you had with that? Like how important is it to, for your staff and your volunteers to understand that they're part of that people first <laughs> equation? Yeah. yeah. And what do you do to help communicate that to them? You communicate the why and you help on a grassroots level, everyone to celebrate the why and, and to just understand that we are a part of a mission and that is what drives us. Yeah. But we invest a lot in our staff. Now, obviously it's, it's nonprofit salary, but the level of morale is probably better than I put it up against any fortune 500 company just because we we have such a high value of the right. people who have engaged in the mission whether they're a, paid or whether they're a volunteer i think a fantastic side effect of constantly reminding people for if, if you're listening and you own an organization or you run a company constantly you've heard people say what Kevin just said there is you got to talk about your why mm-hmm. the side effect of that that people i don't think finally get to under unpack is that people joined your organization because they believed in that. And mm-hmm. if, if you don't keep talking about it, it's like anything, like entropy takes over. Mm-hmm. It's like they just, the, the honeymoon phase gets over, the job changes. But if you're constantly saying like, this is the impact you were talking about, not just the impact of your money, because I don't think people get that excited that, that, that your organization is doing super well mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. But they'll get very excited that your organization is doing super well executing their why mm-hmm. making an impact making impact because what what it does i believe is that the next transition sentence should be and we wouldn't have been able to do that without you guys yeah mm-hmm. so not only is it like some organizations why or some companies why they're getting the fulfillment of what they felt was whether you use the word called or whether you use the word motivated to work for they're mm-hmm. getting the thing that they signed up for in regular doses as opposed to like every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think that's that's a critical component of sharing the why that I think can sometimes get lost. Yeah. Well, I have a practical example. I just got back last week from a uh, project over in India, 10-day project mission team. Um, I'm sorry, medical team project. We did five free medical clinics in five different settings in and around Mumbai area. And more than once, I told our staff here in the U.S., thank you for being there so that we can be here. It would be very tempting to just put the glamour on those that are going over for the project at India as if the the jobs here 
are not as valuable. But the opposite is actually true. Because they are here doing the work here, we are able to to be there. And so just showing them that gratitude the whole time that the project's going on over in India. I really would love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on the differences and the similarities between nonprofit and for-profit. I don't Mm -hmm. think a lot of people have done both to the degree that you have. Mm -hmm. And so overall, are they very similar? Are they very different? Uh, I think principles are very similar, but I think uh, product can be very different in that I think, I think you can be a, a good business leader may not be a good nonprofit leader, but a good nonprofit leader can be a great business leader. In the business world, you have a product. It may be actually something you can box up and sell, right. uh, or you have a service that you can describe and and equate a value to. In nonprofit world, you have a cause, and and that can be very challenging to articulate the value of that cause. You're not really boxing up something to to sell. You're asking for donations, and you're recruiting volunteers. If you can succeed in asking for donations, and recruiting volunteers in and around a cause, I'm pretty sure you can go sell pretty much every boxed up product on the planet. And if you can succeed in managing that mission, that cause, that nonprofit, well, you, you can take those same principles over and be very good in business. But I'm not so sure every person selling a boxed up product could actually sell a cause. Could they, could they learn to? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think they would, I would suspect they would agree with me. It's a lot harder to sell a cause than it is a boxed up product. It's a lot harder to equate a value to a mission, to a cause than it would be to uh, a service. When I think through some of the nonprofits that I really admire the way they handle it, they've done a great job of like what you were saying, showing people the impact of their work. Mm -hmm. If you think traditional marketing and you have a product or a service, you're Mm -hmm. selling features and benefits, features and benefits, features and benefits. Mm -hmm. And when you have a cause, like, do you think there's an equivalent to features and benefits Mm -hmm. when you're talking to people? Yeah. We're selling the opportunity for you to make a difference in the world. Everybody does want to make a difference, but so much of our market today is focused on the, the material and not necessarily the the world changing opportunity. Yeah. I think that's such an important thing. Like people always romanticize Apple because they always make the the thing I often hear about Apple or the thing I hear the most is their marketing is not you should buy this thing because mm-hmm. this thing is good for you. Mm-hmm. Their marketing is almost like the flip of most people's marketing, which is like you're this kind of person, here's a thing. Yeah. I think what people are trying to equate is what you were just saying there so eloquently is that People want to associate with a cause because it's a reflection of who they are. Mm -hmm. And they feel most of themselves when they're connected to doing the thing that they feel is like who they are. Mm -hmm. And when a big part of this show is like tell a better story. Mm -hmm. And I'm always thinking this way, like if if you're bored with your life, if you don't like what you're doing, Mm -hmm. like you can actually change that. Brody Mm -hmm. has a show called uh, the pajama podcast where he's talking to people in transition Mm. and talking about like just that, what went, what went on in that situation where you were like unhappy to now like, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. Like what I call the life audit, unfortunately something major in somebody's life has to happen for that to be the catalyst. Like somebody has to lose a loved one or you have to go through a health thing to, you know, some sort of crisis where all of a sudden now you're having this complete audit Mm -hmm. of 
all right, maybe I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is if you do something with the right intention, then your success will follow. Mm. That is like one of the biggest things that I've learned because people Mm -hmm. are like, well, I just need to put, you know, food on the table. Mm-hmm. I need to do like what I'm good at or whatever, but it's like, if you get into something with the right intention, then like y- you'll be able to make money. Success will come from it, which mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of sounds like what you're doing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, what you want to do and, and, you know, you dove into it and you're able to sustain a life out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great way to say it. Focusing on the intention and then success and will follow is is a way that like I've heard like Simon Sinek say things like start with the why. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what you're saying here with why people want to get involved in a cause, I think what happens is if you start living in such a way for a while, like mm-hmm. you stop thinking of yourself as the guy that's like bored and not doing much and driving a crappy car and working a part-time job. And you start to invest money in an organization or a cause that you believe in. And no, I'm, I'm making clean water mm-hmm. in in India for mm-hmm. people that didn't have access to clean water before. Yeah. And your identity matches up with your actions after a while. Mm-hmm. And you're no longer like the bored guy driving the crappy car in the part-time job. Like you lead with like, I'm making clean water in mm-hmm. India. I'm making a difference yeah. in people's lives. Yeah. And it's more intrinsically valuable than, than we give it value for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really getting that from within your value, uh, because we live in a society that glamorizes the salaries of pro athletes yeah. and rock stars and, and that. And, you know, monetarily, I may never, ever compete, but whenever my life is over, there'll be a legacy there of, of thousands of people that will be in heaven with me as a result of this mission and people who are, are having healthy lives here on earth as a result of this mission. I'm very fulfilled in that yeah. and grateful for so this I'd love, opportunity. I'd love to ask you the question that I love asking people from, from your perspective. What is the definition of success? I, I, um, <laughs> <laughs> Not an easy question. <laughs> well, as a believer, my definition of success is to bring glory to God. Okay. And so are you asking in that context of life or in the context of business? I just like to hear people's answer, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever you hear is the kind, it's like the Warshaw test or whatever, the inkblot test. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really appreciate when, when Mary was uh, told that she was pregnant with uh, Jesus and she, she was a virgin and her response was, may it be to me, as you have said, and, and she just really allowed her life to be set apart for God's glory. And that, that has always been my measurement of success is just to, to live set apart for his glory. I can answer it in business if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hear the business answer too. I think knowing your win, you're, if you can identify what your win looks like, then you can succeed. And so it's measurable, it's describable. And so just, just knowing what your, what your win is. Our, as far as for the faith base, Global Hope India, our win is seeing people absent from the gospel to become ambassadors for the gospel. Our win, like in the Clean Water Initiative, is to see people who don't have the choice, but to drink polluted water to now have the freedom of knowing what it is to have healthy water and clean water. If you could borrow the DeLorean from Mm -hmm. Back to the Future and uh, Marty McFly, no, Doc shows up and he just bursts in the DeLoreans out in the parking lot and he's like, all right, Kevin, you got 60 seconds. We're going back to the moment you decided to start Global Hope India. The light bulb had just gone off like, bing, this is what I'm doing. I'm starting this organization. We're going to be this nonprofit. It's going to be this. And you get 60 seconds to give young Kevin some advice. What would you tell him? 
Oh, well, spiritually, I would say <laughs> make sure your identity is found in Christ, uh, that you are secure, because uh, I made so many horrible mistakes living uh, very insecure earlier, and I can still make them, but just having an identity in Christ has made all the world of difference in the world. As as far as in, in business and everything and, and life in general, this whole area of entrepreneurship, I would say make sure that you don't spend too much time trying to label the box, get out of the box. Uh, we've talked about that. It's sort of been an un, undescribed theme of the show of, you know, don't let ministry put you in a box. Don't let business put you in a box, but just get free of the, of the box and, and look at what life can, can give you if you, if you don't box yourself up yeah. too tight. Yeah. I think Kevin would have listened to you. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, you showed up in a DeLorean. He probably would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, if somebody popped in and kind of looked like me, I don't know. I might give him some credence. So let's talk about what's coming up for you guys. Uh, right now you got two podcasts that you're doing. One yes. is called Living the Dream, where you're mm -hmm. talking to church leaders. Tell us a little bit about that podcast. Yeah. So it's just 20 years of getting comfortable being a foreigner in India and realizing that there are millions of foreign-born internationals living in the USA and how we have an opportunity opportunity to really be kind and show showing them friendship and for for the sake of Christ and and just modeling out our faith helping the church and all believers to see that God does have a plan called the Great Commission and we see a fulfillment of that in Revelation 7 where it says every tribe tongue and nation standing before the throne in heaven and part of his strategy is to bring the world to us now yeah even in North Carolina and across the USA, so many millions of foreign-born internationals living here yeah. from some of the hardest-to-reach countries. And so we have an opportunity right here in our own backyard. Yeah, and challenging churches, I think this is one of the strong themes of the show, challenging churches to take a hard look at their numbers and yes. realize, does their demographic match the demographic of their community? Right. For a lot of churches, I think they look at it through the lens of, what's our balance of black and white? Mm -hmm. And now that we have so many different nationalities and foreign-born people moving into the area, I don't think that's a metric that we should continue to use anymore. Right. Much mm -hmm. less it's, it feels like a very incomplete metric. <laughs> and then your other one, you interview people who have been on missions trips and yes. it's called Missions Changed My Life and you missions talk to them about their stories. Life. Yeah, yeah. I just love hearing the stories of radical transformation. I've I've walked beside so many of the thousand that we've taken over to India and I, I just love now having the opportunity yeah. to share it with the world. Can you just briefly tell us about Becky's story? I thought that was one of the coolest <laughs> interviews. Yeah, yeah. Well, it goes back to hope and just Becky going in, her parents really asking Pastor Mike, is there anything that the church can do to help her? And she's at that moment an exotic dancer, and she comes into the interview high. And Pastor Mike says, "If if you will sober up and you will come in uh, sober, we will find a place on our staff for you." And she really begins to develop her faith in in Christ and live that out. And she steps away from the lifestyle that she had as a exotic uh, dancer and she joins staff at hope and cleans up her life god really begins to transform her from the inside out and so then having the opportunity years later now she's gone on four missions trip wow. but the very last one she went into the red light district of mumbai and i watched with my very own eyes her being able to put her arms around those women and say you are special and you are not alone and just loving on them uh, in a way yeah anyone could but it really meant a lot 
to see Becky doing that, that she had gone full, full circle in that. And she was just so genuine and so sincere. And it, and just her spirit and, and doing that made a world of difference in, in the lives of the women that she was able to impact during that trip. Yeah. It's such a cool interview. You should check it out. Yeah. If somebody wants to get involved and they don't even have to be in that kind of position where Becky is, but let's say they're just interested in getting involved in helping and becoming part of a cause like this, what mm-hmm. can they do? Yeah. Well, you can begin by just checking out our website, globalhopeindia.org, and you'll see the opportunities to pray. You'll see opportunities to invest financially as well as opportunities to go yeah. over. Um, and you guys break out projects individually, like if you just want to support a specific project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the if business development is one of those. Yep. Yep, we do. It's all on our Go page, and and you can help a pastor in India actually have an income generation through starting a pig farm or through starting a small grocery shop and things like that. Yeah, uh, we do have opportunities here locally for volunteers, and we have our two five Ks right here in the Triangle region of North Carolina. So we have over five hundred volunteers every year, even right here uh, locally. If you are in in the local area, yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Thanks for coming yeah. on the show. Brody, thanks for filling in. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. And yeah. uh, man, just continue success, Kevin. I Thank really you. I really admire what how you've you really fleshed out in a way that I think a lot of people want to get to the point where you're so driven by your why mm-hmm. that it is it causes uh, like a clarity mm-hmm. that that I feel like a lot of us who are starting out in business or don't have the years of experience that you do are trying to get to that point. I know that's where I feel like I'm living, trying to have that everything is just pointed at one thing kind of thing. Yeah. And, well, I uh, love this show. You've had a lot of he- heavy hitters on the show. I'm just incredibly humble and grateful that you'd let me be one of them. Oh, that's nice. Thanks now for, for the rest of the day, I'm going to feel like I'm a total loser. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Let's go to India, Brody. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. Have a great day, everybody. This show is produced at Podcast Carry a professional studio making podcasting simple and fun. Located in Vibe Coworking in Cary, North Carolina. Want to start a podcast to create great content for your business and establish yourself as a thought leader in your city? Go to podcastcary.com. Connect with your audience. Grow your brand. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today?